The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Let's pray together. God, thank you, Lord, for the chance that we've had to, to spend time in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, as we bring this series to a close and look at what is next, God, for how you've taught us by your word, how you continue to teach us by your word. We believe that it's living and active, that it can pierce the deepest parts of who we are. And we thank you, God, for how you open our eyes to see wonderful things in it. Would you continue to do that today and in the coming weeks? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we started this year kind of remembering who we are as Temple Bible Church, as the people of God who exist and join together in this place. And then we dove into Ezra and Nehemiah to consider what it means to be the church rebuilding. And so here we are at the end of this series, Rebuilt. Ezra and Nehemiah kind of break up into four sections, Rebuild rebuild the temple, rebuild the people, rebuild the wall, and rebuild the people. And kind of for us today, if we were to apply that to us, it might be how, how are we rebuilt as a people who seek to walk in holiness and make disciples for the glory of God? And so we took a journey with ancient Israel. An exodus out of exile over a period of almost 100 years, three waves of people really taking the same journey that Abraham had taken many, many years ago when God promised him a land so that they might remember who they are. They walked back to the promised land hoping as they always had that they would be the people for whom the God of all creation gave a purpose and a place in his presence in the world. And that first Sunday in Ezra and Nehemiah, we looked at a painting that had been restored. The painting is this painting of Everhard Yabach and his family. It was found in disrepair and it was given to the Met in New York and a man named Michael Gallagher, who is a, an art restoration expert, spent 10 months restoring this painting. It was not just cracks on the painting, there was structural damage. He would steam it and then put weights on it, let those sit overnight, over and over and over. They rolled the painting over, which was the most dangerous part and difficult part, but it stayed together and then the details began to get touched up. And finally, after many, many months, the, plane, the painting was ready to be hung in the mat where people can enjoy it and see it. And here's the reality. It's a masterpiece. And there was a masterpiece under all of that brokenness. But maintenance is going to be given to this painting year after year after year. If it's not, it'll just fall in to disrepair again. So we've got to consider that today. We walked through Ezra and Nehemiah and we remembered that these are people that rise to build. They fought through discouragement. They've taken, on one of the Sundays he was teaching us, said God uses discouragement to reshape us but not destroy us. They grew as God's people as they came back to worship him. They began to remember the feast that had been long forgotten 
and that all of life is an act of worship. Tim Cartwright said this a couple of weeks ago, when we consider every second of our lives as an act of worship, we stay more focused. So once the rebuilding is done, what happens? What happens? I think we're going to see in Nehemiah, and maybe we would be challenged today, that when the rebuilding is done, it's a time to stop and thank God for all that he's done. But it's not just a time to stop and thank God for all that he's done. It's a time to realize that the rebuilding is actually just the start. Now the proper work of worship for the people of God can be done. It's a time of thanksgiving, it's a time of remembering there's work to be done, a time to remember it's all about worship, and then a time to remember that if we're going to do this well, to be the rebuilt people of God, that we've got to depend on him day after day after day. Now our text that we are scheduled to cover today is Nehemiah chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13, so we're gonna read about 130 verses. We're not going to do that. Nehemiah chapter 11 is just a list of names and just like people stood up as servants and some who serve and didn't stand up that you actually may never meet. These are people, many of whom we don't know them or their story, but we know that they were the people of God doing the work of God in their generation. And then in chapter 12, kind of in the middle of the chapter in verse 27, it begins to describe this dedication. They had singers to dedicate the wall, some on one side of the city, some on the other. And Nehemiah 12, 27 says, the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. They came from their villages and towns to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, with harps, with a lyre. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem. And they went from gate to gate to gate to dedicate the wall. There are people singing, these choirs giving thanks to God. It says, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law. People were bringing offerings, a generous people, like you have always been a generous people, so much so that they had to have people to account for what was being brought in. It says, they performed the service of their God, the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. Now that's a a big deal because they had seen Solomon's temple destroyed. This was the second temple that was rebuilt. They had seen Solomon's temple destroyed because they neglected worship. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, when when Ezra started, about 80 years before Nehemiah comes on the scene, all the way to the days of Nehemiah, they were thanking God for what he had done. And we've recounted this, how God has been their God who brought them out of Egypt into a land of promise, who has been with them with steadfast love and mercy despite their sin, and so they stop to give thanks. You know what, I thought if, if we did that, 
as TBC, it would take all day, but I, I began to think about just what God has done in, in this body. So 20 years ago, 20 years ago this September was my first Sunday at TBC. I wasn't on staff. I wouldn't be on staff for several years. My wife and I moved into town. We were visiting this church that she had been to some in college. And I don't know if it was our first Sunday or our second Sunday here, but one of those first two, this room was being dedicated as a new auditorium. And there's a man here, a guest preacher, if you don't know, I'm sorry that you don't know, named Charles Cooper. And Charles has this beautiful and booming voice. And he began to describe one of the difficulties that he and his wife have had in their marriage. And it's that she believes their house is a museum and he believes their house is a house. (laughs) And he challenged us to understand that this is a house. It's a place to be used up for the glory of God. There's a difference in a museum and a house. My wife and I drove to Arkansas Friday and back yesterday because our son-in-law was graduating. And so Friday afternoon, we went through the Crystal Bridges Art Museum in Bentonville, Arkansas. Really amazing art museum. But while we're there, we're walking through a section of American art And on a just very slightly raised platform, there's a five-foot chicken with a saddle on it. And I looked at my son-in-law's dad, and he looked at me. And the wheels were turning in both of our minds. And our wives looked at us, being the dignified gentlemen we are, and said, do not get on that chicken. And we told them we're not the first people to think about this because there's a sign that says don't ride the chicken. Obviously, people have tried, right? That's a museum. It's not a house. They even have one of Frank Lloyd Wright's houses that they moved there. Well, we walked through it, but you can't sit in the chairs. You can't look at the art. You can't pick up a book because it's described as a house, but it's really a, a museum. God forbid that Temple Bible Church ever become a museum. See, 20 years ago, we walked in this place and and one of the first things we saw was a map on the back wall and we noticed that there were over 20 missionaries that, that this body supported. And we heard that 20% of, of everything in the general fund went to missions and we loved that. In fact, if, you, if you're new to TBC, you might not know when TBC started, really small church with a heart for missions, there were three families they supported with an offering each month. And the offering was so small at that time, they would give one month to one family, the next month to the next, the next month to the next. And as the church grew, they said 20% of everything we're going to give goes to missions. And then there were 20 missionaries and international partners that the church supported. And then there were 30 and and now there are about 40 plus missionaries and international partners that we get to work with throughout the world for the glory of God. And we praise God for that. It's a moment to stop and say, thank God. For all the people serving, we stop to say, thank God. In our own uh, town and city, we have over a dozen local outreach partners that we work with each week. 120 students are going to share the gospel as they have year after year after year 
in our city. There are over 50 adult small groups that gather to study the word and be light in their neighborhoods. Various men's groups and women's groups as well. Over 120 college students that gather each week to be discipled and grow in the Lord. In that launch pad, there are children week after week after week that hear the word of God taught. You saw the video of of 13 young people being baptized just a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot to thank God for, just like Nehemiah and the people of Israel had a lot to thank God for. I just wonder, maybe as you leave this place, maybe in your small group, maybe as a family, maybe it'd be a great time to just think, what do I want to just stop? It's easy to, to not consciously think, man, what do I need to thank God for today? But he gives us life and breath and everything else. So maybe your conversation over lunch or dinner tonight might be, and what can we just thank God for? He has been so good to us. But see, they don't just give thanks. They don't just give thanks. They, they recognize there is work to be done. Nehemiah tells, even after he gives Thanks. So on that day, they read from the book of the law and the hearing of all the people. They realized there were some people they needed to get out. Nehemiah gets, gets a message. He needs to go back and give a report to King Artaxerxes. And while he's doing that, there's a priest named Eliashib. And, and the priest Eliashib was up to no good. You might remember from previously in our study, there was a guy named Tobiah that was an instigator and an antagonizer against the people of God. Eliashib moves out the vessels for worship from the house of God and builds a chamber for Tobiah to stay there. And Nehemiah comes back after they've rebuilt the wall, after they've rebuilt the temple, it seems like everything is done but it's not done. He says, I came to Jerusalem and I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. I threw the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. I brought back there the vessels of the house of God. The house needed to be cleaned. There was work to be done. Nehemiah 13 goes on to say, I commanded the Levites, they should purify themselves, come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. He goes on to say, I cleansed them from everything foreign and established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. As you hear Nehemiah cleansing the house of God, as I read that this week, I thought back to John chapter two and when Jesus goes up with his disciples to the Passover and he sees they're selling oxen and sheep, there are money changers there in the temple where they ought not be and he poured out all the coins of the money changers. He overturned the tables and he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. There was work to be done and Nehemiah is bringing about a cleansing See, there's a lot to give thanks for, but there's a lot left to do. Globally right now, there are 3.2 billion people among the unreached that have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there are a lot more disciples to be made in the world with little or no access to the gospel. 
And I, I just wonder, like God has sent many families from this body, might he send yours to the farthest reaches of the earth? Like God has used many families to support others and pray for others, might he use your family to support and pray for others as they go? It's not just globally though, it's locally. There are kids in this county that go to bed hungry every night. Can you just even imagine that? I was talking to Candace Cartwright this week. If you don't know Candace, Candace is married to Tim Cartwright, one of the guys on our teaching team. And Candace founded Foster Love Bell County that does great work for children in the foster system in our county. And I asked Candace this week, how many kids are in the system in Bell County? He said, Chase, there are 1,200 kids in the foster system in Bell County, which is just a stark number, but that seemed crazy high to me. And I said, Candace, that seems crazy high to me. And she said, Chase, when we started Christmas in July, they do a program every July where they get, uh, seek to meet needs of kids in our community. And said, when we started six years ago, the number was 550. It's more than doubled in six years. There's work left to be done. There are vulnerable mothers, vulnerable fathers, vulnerable children. The gospel still needs to be preached to the poor in our city. So I just wonder, just like you might go, what do I need to thank God for? Maybe right along with that, the question would be, you know, what can the next season of my life look like? Is it as it comes to serving God? Is it in the church? Is it among our partners? Is, is it to the ends of the earth? How might God have me serve him? There, there can be a mindset, well, listen, the, like the wall's rebuilt, the temple's rebuilt, we're done. We can just kind of sit back, come on Sunday, just relax, right? But, but really the wall rebuilding is so that God can be properly worshiped, so the people can be about what they're supposed to be. It's kind of like when a, a young man and a young woman get married. There's all this anticipation, all this excitement, all, all this joy leading up to this day. Oh, we're done, we're married. Life will just be easy from now on, right? But we have a saying, the honeymoon is over. You just have a life to love one another now. See, when the, when the temple's rebuilt, when the wall is restored, now the people of God can be about their business. What's an area God would, would use you to serve in? See, there's thanksgiving, there's recognition that work is to be done, and then there's a remembrance that God's glory is the reason we do it all. We do it all for worship. These books record what happened when the people weren't worshiping, when they were cast into exile because they neglected the house of God. They come back in, they're trying to restore right worship in the house of God. But then there's this crazy couple of verses in Nehemiah 13. It says that Nehemiah was so upset with some men that he started pulling their hair out. Now, some of you, you read that and you go, I'd like to be Nehemiah. I got a list of people, right? In fact, somebody asked me if I got a haircut this week. I said, no, Danny just got a little upset with me and got this front out. Listen, do we get to do what Nehemiah did? 
right, that sounds fun. There's some people that come to your mind. You need to repent, right? Maybe it's a group of people that come to your mind, a category of people that come to your mind. Well, what's different about how Nehemiah responded and how we need to respond? Well, I I believe the answer is that Christ has come. See, I believe before Jesus came, this is what justice from God looked like. But Jesus took the justice of God upon himself. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. He took it upon himself for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. So if people have sinned against us or sinned against God, we can rest with full assurance that those sins were either fully, completely punished on the cross or they will be punished forever in conscious, eternal torment and separation from God. The scripture tells us if, if our enemy's hungry, we give them food to eat. If, if they're thirsty, we give them something to drink that we leave room for the wrath of God. The difference is that God set Jesus forward as a propitiation, a covering for sin because he had forgiven Old Testament sinners. And he had to vindicate his righteousness so that he could still be just, but then also the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Hebrews 1, 2 says it this way, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus, when he was being crucified, he didn't pull the people crucifying him, he didn't pull their hair out. They pulled his beard out. He took the punishment upon himself. So we follow Christ. We leave room for God's wrath and we seek to worship God in a way that honors him today. See, if we're to be the rebuilt people of God, we've got to thank God for all he's done. We've got to know that there's a lot of work left to do. We've got to know that that work is about God being worshiped among the nations. And if, if we do it well, then we've got to recognize we need God for every bit of it. We're just fully dependent on him. Nehemiah knows it, so he asks God three times, God, would you remember me? Would you remember me? In 13, 14, remember me, oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds I've done for the house of my God and for his service. Last part of of verse 22, remember this in my favor, oh my God, spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Verse 31, I provided wood for the offerings and appointed times and for the first fruits, remember me, oh God, for good. He knows he's dependent on God. They're rebuilt but he needs help because there's something missing. It's kind of like a, a house. My wife and I bought a house about uh, seven years ago. And when we bought that house, we remodeled it. But we have these things in our house that cause it to always need some upkeep. Y'all know what these things are, right? They're called children. So that there are these sections of walls that get 
who knows what on them and the door jams get banged by scooters or bicycles or feet or whatever else. There's always upkeep. We want the house to be set right and we keep working and we keep working and we keep working. Now you would think the temple's rebuilt, the wall's rebuilt. This is gonna be this awesome moment of prosperity for Israel. All will be well. God's gonna bring his presence back into the temple and life's going to be good. But that's not what happened. See, within just a couple of decades, things are in such disarray that there's just utter silence from God. God doesn't speak to his people for 400 years. It's this kind of picturing or remembering of slavery in Egypt, this dark moment. And the, the reason is because God doesn't live in temples made by hands and it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The people didn't need just a new temple. They needed a new covenant. They didn't need a new wall to protect them. They needed a new king. Jeremiah told them this before they ever went into exile. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And it happened when Jesus was placed on that cross for the sin of Israel and the sin of the world. They didn't need a temple and a wall, they needed a covenant and a king. So Nehemiah's contemporary, Zechariah, described this king that would come. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. The king who has salvation is going to come, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on that donkey declaring that he was king. There's work to be done today. God has not been silent now. He's given us his word and he tells us this about the king. Listen, did you know Jesus is coming again and when he comes a second time, he is not coming on a donkey. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, many crowns and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
with which to strike down the nations and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We look at a world like Nehemiah looked at it and said there's so much wrong, what are we going to do? But we've been told what to do. We make disciples for the glory of God. We lay down our lives for others that they might know Jesus because one day he's coming back and he will set all things right. And this is the God that we worship today. So I wanna ask, just as we've asked, is there anything I need to thank God for? Is there any way in which I need to be serving him, I wanna ask now, is there anything that's hindering you from worshiping him rightly? Is there anything in life you just need to look at and go, hey, let me just pause for a second. Let me just think, am I really pursuing the Lord rightly? And communion Sunday is a wonderful moment to do that. Mark and Whitley are gonna lead us in a song And as they do, maybe you take this time to reflect and spend some time with the Lord before we partake together.